0: Everyone in Nacogdoches knew Tom Mames had to come to some bad end. will a sheriff for calling, stealing chickens and such by the time that he was ten. And one day his daddy took a ten dollar bill and he tucked it in his hand. He said, I could tell you hit it for trouble, son, and your mama wouldn't understand. So it took adding money in his brother's old bag and left full out of work. Thanks. Fell in with a crowd All right, hello everybody. Welcome to, back to, to,
1: to Hardcore Troubadour. I am Brian Wallace, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Short. Tyler, what's going on?
0: We've seen each other since the last time we did this.
1: I know, right? <laughs> we have. In per- we have confirmed that we're both... Real people the- who exist outside yeah. the internet. Yeah, Beings in the physical realm, in addition to the digital. Yeah, man. Um, Inclination has had a few really sick shows, including the one you all played here in New York with the mighty incendiary and with standstill, And then um, your record release shows were the following weekend. Yep. Right. Tell, I mean, so hell yeah, man. Tell us. And I took a vacation and you took a vacation. I took a
0: vacation. I didn't have to rush home from New York and go straight to work. That rules. Um, But yeah, no, it was, uh, it was cool. Um, i say the one thing I, I can't remember if I told you this when we were in New York, but um, I can't remember how much of my, my food debacle I shared with you of how I didn't eat anything. Um, so we, so a constraint played with fading signal and deal with it. I believe I'm, I'm, I'm blanking right now. I'm pretty sure deal with it. it. It used to be first day out from Atlanta. I think they're now they're deal with it.
1: Yes. And, yes. Yes. Um,
0: and um, in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And then I came home from that and went straight to work for like four hours and then i went home and i laid down in my bed for two hours and then i drove to peter's to go fly to new york um so i didn't get really any food all day because of the the travel yeah and then when we got to the venue in in brooklyn um i just thought like oh i'll just you know eat something around the venue and it's kind of a food desert around there yeah. so There wasn't really anything to eat, so I uh I was just kind of hanging around, and somebody had sandwiches delivered for us. But I'm picky as shit, so I I didn't even dare try to eat like or try to go through the well. Can I get this sandwich, and can I get it without like any of the things that people like on it? Um. (laughs) So, so uh, so Colin, who got everybody else food, you know, I didn't even try. So I'm I'm hanging around, and then Chris gets there and. Isaac's wanting to go get this um, this ramen spot, and we've gotten ramen on tour before. And ramen's not really my thing, but I always find something to eat there. Um, and there's this famous spot. I can't remember what the fuck he called it. Uh, it's it's the it's some famous spot in fucking Brooklyn. That, yeah, that, yeah. It's only in Brooklyn and Japan or some shit. That's right. Um, I, I'm I I re- I regretfully can't remember the name of the place that I walked six uh six blocks to with him in the freezing cold it's very, um, it very cold um it's very cold in new york <laughs> funny how a place surrounded by water is very fucking cold in january um but uh but so we're walking and we get there and i'm looking i look at the menu on my ipod and i decide that uh oh this they don't have anything but ramen and he goes yeah it's a ramen spot yeah man well, any other time we've done this, I've usually find something else on the menu. And now I'm seeing there's fucking nothing else on the menu. So um, so yeah, I just ended up like kind of half jogging back to the venue and eating all the chips and salsa in the green room, um, which got me through our set and standstill, but then halfway through incendiary, I legitimately felt like I was gonna collapse on my fucking feet. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was cool. But I will I will share it. So on the walk to to ramen spot. Is was it it's, Ichiran? Is that the place? Yes, there Ichiran, it is. That's yeah. that's the name of it. That's Famous the name of the place. Spot. I didn't eat. It's yeah. apparently it's apparently great, and everybody else had a great time eating. It's there, incredible. Yeah, I didn't know if putting, I didn't know if ramen for the first time in my life should be eaten on an empty stomach before I'm going to jump around on stage and scream. I mean, I thought that might end up with that ramen all over the stage. It is a very rich broth. But, yeah. So um, I'm just going to say like me eating before a set is very different than some other people eating before a set.
1: Do you think though to be fair, right? Since you said ramen's not your thing, would you have tried it even if you didn't have a show right after? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All
0: right. If That's I didn't great. have a show right after and also if I had just eaten anything else that day. Yeah. If I just had anything else in me, I think I would have been fine, but the fact that that being the only thing in my stomach and then I having to jump around and run a mile while screaming. I uh, didn't think that would be a good idea. Um, but on the walk that. there, on the walk there, man, dude, you're going to love this. So on the walk there, it's so cold. And I only brought a hoodie. Of course. Because I honestly didn't think I was going to walk in six fucking blocks in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, and I only mm-hmm. brought a hoodie because I kind of didn't want to have to like fuck around with a jacket on the plane and shit. And um, anytime I've got my jacket and a hoodie, I'm like, trying to like stuff my jacket under the under the seat with my backpack and just didn't feel like scrambling around with the jacket so i was like you know i'll be fine a hoodie i'm not gonna fucking go exploring or anything and i was wearing the shirt i was gonna wear for the gig because i'm a person who i play in whatever clothes i'm wearing that day mm-hmm. so i had the shirt that i was gonna play in underneath my hoodie and we're walking and i was like god and i'm so fucking stupid i'm complaining to isaac like uh I'm, I'm my dumb ass is wearing a fucking sleeveless shirt right now under this hoodie and i'm i'm freezing so we walked like another block and Isaac just goes what sleeveless shirt are you wearing under that and I said "Mm -mm, frostbite the irony's not lost (laughs) and we had a really fun time with that for a second um but yeah no man uh but New York was awesome it was cool um whoever brought those cookies to the show god bless those were fucking amazing oh yeah um but yeah I mean I uh I had a good time. I uh, the record release shows were great. Contention was great. Um, Weapon X playing their fifth or sixth shows, fourth and fifth shows, something like fuck that. yeah. I think actually third and fourth shows. Fuck them. Um, but uh, but yeah, that no, was cool. World I hate was cool. Um, seeing Judiciary was awesome. We yeah. Um, might be announced probably by the time this episode comes out because it's going to be in like eight weeks. <laughs> Something when people like that. We'll hear this episode, but uh we're playing record release shows with them in April, I believe, in Texas. In so. Texas, yes. Yeah. That rules so that'll be cool. Um yeah. and uh yeah, we got a bunch of stuff going on this year, which I'm excited about going to Atlanta, going to uh Detroit and going to Birmingham
1: for Furnace Birmingham Fest? Furnace Fest. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. cool, cool year.
0: Cool year. Dude, we get to play places.
1: It's gonna be sick. I mean Fuck the yeah. record the record's great. The like live show, fucking more than does it justice. And yeah, I wouldn't unless you had told me. I would have had no idea that you hadn't fucking eaten anything but chips and salsa all day. With how, um, just you know, well, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, dude. No, you, you guys, were, <laughs> you were fucking great. It was like just awesome to, I mean, first and foremost, see you in person. But I was really fucking stoked to see inclination um, yeah you got to see
0: tom do his part for the first got time to see,
1: yeah like live and in the flesh and um it was fun hanging out with y'all for a little while and getting to meet some of the folks in the yeah dude the, the
0: the hotel hangout afterwards was, was it's the best fantastic. i feel
1: i feel like i know like everything about louisville now so i'm ready you know if you know if and when the time comes for me to make a move um because i was also realizing too it's, it's a funny thing like me and uh, Peter were having just a little like side conversation about being old. Um, and like he'll he, do that, dude. The last time I was in Louisville was for Crazy Fest 2002, um, which is 21 years ago now, and that's yeah. just unacceptable. Because to be clear, there's been a ton of fucking killer shit in Louisville, including LDB fests that I, um, should have gone to especially pre having a kid um when when things are a lot harder now but um always a place where i had a good time but realizing like wow an entire generation has passed since i've um been to this town who Um, played
0: that year crazy fest
1: afi um most precious blood um what else do i remember so it was the was that the year at the water tower is the water tower the one downtown or the one kind of out further?
0: So there was
1: in, in 2001, it was at the water tower, and in okay. 2002, it was back like downtown on the river waterfront. Gotcha. Waterfront. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's so that was the
0: year the suicide file was supposed to play and canceled.
1: That's right. That's gotcha. right. I remember, yeah. And I mean, it was just
0: a played that year, right? Hate breed played. Um, that's that's a famous hate breed set dude it was so sick i think peter might have gotten a fight at that i'm not sure i could be speaking for him right now it could be speaking in return.
1: i just remember there's,
0: other, there's a statute of limitations here that is probably fine
1: i came with um i came with two friends who are um mostly civilians um but just like liked a few of the bands playing and um it was kind of funny to have like my worlds all together that weekend um but i do it's just interesting. The The sets that I remember the most are, I remember MPB because that was the last time I got to see them with Tom. Um, even before we were friends, I think it was a little bit towards the end of his tenure as a singer um, of MPB. And um, I remember AFI's set just because it was so fucking good. And Davey looked like a God and he was walking around all weekend in the hot sun, with a uh, with a black umbrella to shield himself from the sun, um, which I think some people were clowning on, but I thought was great. Also, this was peak two thousand two, and if you weren't there, you'll have to understand how fucking stupid everything was. There was like in between set games or some shit like that. There was, oh, a, there was a there was a makeout contest, and I remember. Hunter weeks from love is red being all over that you know there's fucking a lot of faux hawks and and really tight 300 dollar pairs of jeans um which was <laughs> which was never my thing but you got to understand like some of that kind of came with the territory in the early aughts and um yeah it was a great time but yeah that was my last time in Louisville not not just for hardcore but period um, Damn,
0: I'm I'm confusing that year with this with the next year in 2003. I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever seen the 2002 uh, lineup, and now I can't even find a fucking flyer for it.
1: Hmm. Let me see real quick if I can pull something up. I'm
0: really interested in who else played.
1: I've got a bunch of random. Um, let's see who else played that year. I mean, they. I don't know I don't know if this was always a thing but I felt like was, I haven't, uh,
0: was did there, AFI cover uh that this might have been a time that AFI played the waterfront on a different time but apparently AFI covered uh, inside out uh, at the waterfront at a, on on a tour where I, maybe is that a crazy fest I can't remember
1: I don't remember that I know, you know a what story else? of
0: AFI doing that in Louisville at least
1: you know what else I remember from that weekend <laughs> Thursday played on the last day on the Sunday. Um, and all the all the you know, last day bands were like there was no hardcore on the last day. It was like yeah. Elliot Thursday, um, I think one line drawing, you know, Jonah's band played. um I remember the rocking Horse winner. Anyway, um, Skip from Turning Point had just died.
0: No shit. And
1: I had never made the connection. That Thursday is named after the Turning Point song. Um, really? At least at that point, I had yeah. not made that connection. And I remember Jeff from Thursday giving like a very, because also, you know, this is pre, I mean, not pre internet, obviously, but pre smartphone. So like he was like communicating the news to people mm-hmm. at the fest on this like Sunday afternoon um, and gave like a really beautiful emotional speech about Skip. Um, about, you know, the influence of turning point, you know, not just for New Jersey hardcore, but everywhere. And, um, you know, then talked about how, yeah, we're named after the turning point song. And here's my dumbass who always just thought like, they're just named after a day of the week. How artsy. Um, (laughs) but it was from the turning point song. Um, I remember, I remember Bane reached the sky.
0: Reach the Sky, Sick of It All, Snapcase, Stretch Armstrong, Hope Con.
1: That is a fucking yeah, and that was like the it was like the first night was all those bands, yeah. Um, So like it it was killer enough just from there, and then you know it's interesting to uh, hear now. I found it too to look at that and see like what, just frankly, like man, what's still around, and I mean, legitimately,
0: it's it's diminishing returns for me every day. Yeah. Same and I mean First day I'm there for the whole thing Second date Black Widows Converge AFI uh, MPB That's maybe it for me
1: And I think I watched Dillinger Escape Plan Just to see if they would do something crazy If he'd run all over people's um, heads Yeah Yeah and all I do remember is I always really enjoyed their cover of uh, Rebel Yell by Billy Idol And that's all I can remember from there But, but yeah fucking cool. Dude Tiger Army Not my thing nope. Um, You know well, you know, it's it's saying something, and again, it's like no disrespect to the people in the bands, but it's like when you're looking at a band that played a fest and like they don't have a Wikipedia page. Um that's not the end all be all measure of anything, but it is like it's just interesting to be like, I feel like, dude, fucking corn on macabre was on every fucking fest that I went to. Never heard of before. that. And 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 <laughs> I mean and there's no reason for you to have but it was one of those things like or I've here's this, I've never met anybody that truly loves the band Nora metalcore band from 2000 to 2002 they I saw that everything. I yeah. saw that band 12 times and I never tried to see them once Dude like
0: fuck that was um that was that was so many bands that I I I don't want to get beat up for, for yeah. mentioning
1: right now but I no, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to find out that up. I Fucked with the wrong person <laughs> or like said something, you know. I don't think Nora's coming for you, my dude. Probably not. Or if anything, they'd have a laugh about it. Cause I'm like, yo, look, Nora, you were <laughs> fucking more successful than any hardcore band I've ever been in. Um, but yeah, man, I just, re- it is interesting too when you talk about diminishing returns. Cause I remember that Friday night being there for the whole thing, Saturday hanging a lot in between bands, and then Sunday, uh, I feel like I was out on Bartstown Road for half of the day. Um, yeah, I would. I would
0: watch Elliot and Small Brown Bike. I think that might be it. Yeah,
1: um, but it was a blast. And oh, here is the other thing I remember about that weekend. Before Bonnaroo was this gigantic, you know, like festival that it is now, like you know, like a you know almost Coachella yes. level kind of thing. It was a jam band fest, right? Yes. Sounds awful. and oh just miserable but here's what's funny we got so we were driving from memphis up so you know you go up 40 to nashville and then you get on 65 somewhere around that interchange um i remember there being this is really funny moment because there was like standstill traffic like you know to the point where everybody could like get out of their car and like fuck around and like make jokes cuz mm-hmm. nothing was moving and on One side of the highway were like hardcore kids, you know, because you knew from the stickers and stuff like that. And on the other side were like, you know, frat boy jam band dudes going down to Bonnaroo and us like, not in like a fight kind of way, but like good naturedly, like yelling at each other, Mm -hmm. you know? And because like, I, there were like kids, I, I was, it was after my freshman year of college. And I remember my friends that were coming with me. People were like, "Oh, you're going to a music festival that weekend? Are you going to Bonnaroo?" And we we're like, "No, we're not going to fucking Bonnaroo. We're going to Crazy Fest, dude."
0: Dude, um, incredible to book those both in the same weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was much crossover, man.
0: I know, um, but it's more of a more of a middle finger.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, but it is just interesting to think like later Bonnaroo became this like just massive thing that. Tons of different bands played um, that had nothing to do with that, but it was very much like a fucking noodley jam band. This song could be cool if it was three and a half minutes long, but you've been playing for 30 minutes mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, like, like a lot of those bands are, you know? Yep. Um, but dude, I don't know how we got on that at all. Louisville.
0: Yeah, Louisville. I was Bless on my way here. to Louisville.
1: Fuck yeah. But I got to go 2000, 2001, 2002, all three of those years to Crazy Fest. And it was It was such a fucking blast every time.
0: Before my time, my dude.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I was young, I was that was me aged 18 to 20, I think. So I was young and full of life. Tom actually found, I think he posted it. He sent it to me from somebody's Instagram, but a bunch of us at from Crazy Fest 2001, it was a bunch of Memphis Nashville kids. Um, staying at like a shitty Red Roof Inn. And so, of course, we had to take like our like crew pick mm-hmm. outside of the hotel. But he was like, Ryan, is this you? Because he had never seen me with hair yeah. before. Um, and I think I was wearing like a fucking Skid Row Youth Gone Wild t-shirt. And just didn't bling- fit you too, right? Of course not. Um, yep. And the it's funny, like you got to wear a really tight shirt but I had on huge shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not, you know, my way of dressing was not very indicative of the style of the time. Um, <laughs> at least not in the summer. I definitely had a track jacket that I wore at all times mm-hmm. later. Because um, everybody wanted to be Wes Isold. Um, yes. I mean, and who was I? People we'll still do. Oh, yeah. Um, fuck. But, yeah, that was my, um, those were my, like, immediate, like, high school and post years and crazy fest was like a really fun memory of some of that i should see i've got a box full of pictures um that uh and i think some of them are from some of those crazy fest years i should go through and maybe see if we can recognize anybody or just see what's up
0: yeah i've got a movie life shirt from one of the years uh peter got peter got a movie life shirt at a God damn! I'm looking at other years of crazy vests, and I'm just making myself mad. So you want to talk about Steve Earl? We
1: should talk about Steve Earl. So, <laughs> like, dude, that's a great transition, by the way. We're becoming more professional every time we do this. Um, we're going to talk about of coming today. Yes. And this is a special record for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, I got some notes here, Tyler, um, but my, you know, I guess, starting with just like our relationship with it. This was not a record that I had spent hardly any time with before doing it for this. And it's interesting. Really? The one after I feel all right. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent a lot of time with, but for some reason, like, I don't think I ever owned this one. Um, Mm -hmm. And this being, you know, like the first, the first album after Steve gets sober yeah. Um, kind of the relaunch of his career after some really rough years. Um, and I think I knew that, but it's just, I, I don't think I've sp- had spent any significant amount of time with it until I was listening to prepare for this episode.
0: Yeah. You see with me and getting into Steven, the streaming age, like, like really getting into like all of my years spent listening to Steve roll have been in the post, uh, getting Spotify, six seven years ago um i uh this was one that i i was familiar with a couple songs off of it because i think a couple of the songs were on um on that that playlist that my friend paul made for me yep um and we'll get to which songs those were when we get to them but uh i um this was one that as i was going through the chronology after i'd broken out of my I feel all right and the mountain and uh towns and copperhead road like bind that I was in where I was like these are the ones that I know some songs off of so I'm going to hang with these cuz I'm afraid to listen to the other ones mm. once I'd broken that bounds and I was just going through chronology I uh I spent a lot of time with this record I uh I actually think this is a good intro record to Steve Earle
1: I I don't disagree with that. I think we'll get into this some, you know, once we're actually talking about the songs, but, um, you know, knowing the music that Steve has put out since in the many, many years since, I think that's probably true, but given that a lot of my affinity lays with some of the, the, the stuff that like rocks a little more, um, yeah. It def, you know, it does not have nearly as much of that as the last few before this one did. Oh
0: yeah, I just mean that in the sense of like people who like just acoustic music, period. Totally. Like, I could see that. You're if you're if you have any sort of affinity for any any kind of like folk music whatsoever, I think like this is a good intro, in which you can hear an acoustic record that isn't like a country record Mm. so much. Like these are folk songs, a lot of them, and uh. And I think that's, you could maybe hear this and then hear some of his country stuff and be maybe be like, oh, you know, I didn't really think I liked country, but I, but I, I like Steve Earl. So maybe I'll like this. And like, that's where I see where this could be like kind of a gateway record for some people.
1: That's a good point. I, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I really appreciate it. And the the other fascinating thing is I, I didn't know this again until, um, was looking into it for the purposes of this episode. Um, several of the songs are are very old are, oh, are yeah. songs that steve wrote yeah we'll
0: we'll address yeah. those when we get to each one like what year because i've on, on the the lyric sheet from the the record which this is also the first um the first steve earl record that didn't get a vinyl release in its initial release
1: ah uh, so vinyl was, didn't
0: come till 2014
1: got it so it, so it was, it was cd only cd only yep. which yeah i think likely made sense given that it was 1995 and um two i mean i think it's i think there was probably a lot of uncertainty as to what the reception was going to be oh Um, for sure you know considering steve's um hiatus as it were for the for the years preceding this yeah Um, i've
0: got some stuff like from the book about like the uh, like some rumors regarding this record that can not exactly be a um, corroborated and then also mm. like some of some of some recurring characters in steve's life that kind of come back into picture around this time and uh different stuff like that yeah but yeah well
1: i'll be excited for that i mean is there before we dive in and start talking about the songs is there anything you want to share anything else in terms of like the frame up um yeah so the,
0: well i'll start the one of the rumors is that uh joe hardy the guy who produced and recorded uh on um copperhead road in the hard way mm-hmm. uh was approached when steve was in prison to do a new record with steve but he felt like it might be exploitive mm. so he kind of turned it down and um the assumption is that uh um william Alsobrook, the guy who produced train to come in um according to Steve, was uh, his best friend for years and in his darkest hour, his only friend. So that's the guy who essentially made this record happen is somebody who I guess was just kind of present in Steve's life around this time when he went to prison. And, yeah. um, and I guess that time before when he's just full on, you know, strung out all the time. This was a guy who, which he never really gets mentioned in the book before this. So he must have just been somebody who, um, I guess maybe didn't know Steve well enough to know to get the fuck away. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, or um, uh, or just somebody who just managed to be guarded from the the damage he was causing. Um, but yeah, no Dukes on this record.
1: No Dukes. Yeah,
0: the um Norman Blake and Peter Rowan, um, who uh Steve had a little bit of a relationship with. Uh, <clears throat> Peter Peter Rowan, they had a little bit of a relationship from their Nashville days. Um, but apparently they had talked. There, they were friends, and they had talked about doing a, an acoustic record. Like they'd been like really like being like, man, we should do like an acoustic record that's like you know just root stuff and like you know take into like you know all this you know Irish you know folk stuff and yeah really just like run with it. It'd be it'd be awesome if we me and you could make that happen. And then this Bill Alsobrook guy like called them up to like work on this record and apparently they had this moment where like they're in the recording studio and they're recording it and they're like hey remember when we said we should do a record i think this is it this is it we're doing it <laughs> we're doing it we're doing that thing we said we should do uh, um so yeah was, so cool yeah a little bit of interesting like behind the scenes stuff and like um so pam lewis who is one of the pr people for uh, his like during the mca days who he had a real hard falling out with because uh he was just like openly doing drugs all the time, and she was sketched out about it. But she ended up um, in her time away from Steve. She was part of Garth Brooks' Ascension. Wow! And um, apparently, her and one of her her like compatriots, this guy uh, Bob Doyle, um, were kind of like part of like making Garth Brooks a thing. And then when Garth Brooks kind of usurped and became king of Nashville he just like hired a bunch of his friends and like fired everybody. Oh shit. Who like he could and just kind of like cronied his boys. So like, there's like a, I didn't know this, like people fucking hate Garth Brooks.
1: That's a bummer, man. Cause I really like Garth, but obviously I don't know anything about (laughs) Yeah. I don't know anything about how he does business. Right. Or works with people, but, um, damn. But yeah,
0: there's one last thing for this one. Like, um, this is from Steve, uh, directly, which before we get into it, there is a, a pretty um a, a very steve intro that he I wrote think, yeah the, um this Love is just something that. he said like on the subject of the record he said um this is exactly the record he needed right now no major label would let him make this record coming back after four years especially um i always wanted to do it it was a low pressure record at a point in my life when i needed a low pressure record mm. so
1: fuck yeah. yeah i mean that's a like expectations had to have been near zero Mm you know like it was it was an accomplishment to make this thing whether or not anybody ever fucking heard it oh yeah so um and the fact that it is a really good record and one that we're did successfully relaunch him right yeah and um you know fucking get us like i mean here here we are talking about it all these years later um like, 38 years later <laughs> yeah jesus um wait wait not, no not much. no 28 oh yeah i was about to say wait 28 i'm 40 and i'm bad with i'm <laughs> bad with math sometimes no. i'm
0: bad with math sometimes i
1: just add an extra 10 yeah i was like whoa um yeah that rule really, i mean and this i believe um i mean speaking of like this being a more than successful um relaunch i believe this was yeah this album was nominated for a grammy um for best contemporary folk album and he the lost to emmy lou harris who is on the record on the
0: record yeah. and that's
1: and steve was on her record that and came this, out this year and and one.
0: listening to this and talking to you has got me
1: to start digging into emmy lou Oh, that's awesome! I love Emmy Lou Harris. Um,
0: I've been listening to uh, "Fuck the Big Piece of Sky" or whatever. Yep is that yeah. is that the name of the record? I
1: think so. Man, some Jeez.
0: some some amalgamation of those words. But yeah, it, I've started at the beginning.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think I mean, I do think that's just so cool because it was kind of like, you know, they were in a position too where like each other's win was their win because steve was on emmy Lou's record Mm -hmm. and she was on his um and so yeah it's i mean fucking low pressure but it turned into such a huge victory i think for yeah i know for sure both professionally and personally um Mm -hmm. to 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 know like i can still do this sober um and so and in many ways do it better than it was at least the last few years (laughs) that that he was playing so Right on man. Um, well you ready to dig in?
0: Yes. So so you're going to love this and we'll we'll have something to even talk about just off the first line of this introduction that he writes which is amazing cuz it's such a good snapshot of this time in 1995. So he says, "From the jump, this ain't my unplugged record.
1: <laughs>
0: I made most of these songs up before I was plugged in in the first place. I hitchhiked to Nashville from Texas in November 74." And began my higher education in the pickin' parties that went all night nearly every night back then. I had good teachers and I learned fast. In those days, I made up songs and then when I went out and played them for anyone who would listen, simple. It wasn't until 82 that anybody would let me make a record. Some of those old songs have been dusted off for the acoustic tours over the years. Whenever I was feeling out of touch and I needed the money and my favorites are here along with a few new ones and a few covers. This is what I used to do, and it is what the great players of this record do every day of their lives come hell or high water. But make no mistake, this ain't no part of no unplug nothing. Gotta hate
1: MTV. <laughs> <laughs> Which just rules because a year later he was doing an MTV yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. I mm-hmm. love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. But I just love just the thumbing his fucking nose all the time. Dude.
1: Totally. Cause you mentioning that, like I, it might not unplugged was a fucking a huge, huge fucking thing. Game. And it just, it got my al- parents into Nirvana. Yeah. And, and thinking about this in 95, it had already been huge, but I do, I yeah. believe Nirvana's unplugged after Kurt Cobain's death clearly took on like, I'm sure sold way more copies and, you know, there's been so much like mythologizing of it in the years mm-hmm. since because he they recorded that in late '93. So, literally, just and he died in April '94. So, just a few months before he died. And people talk about like, you know, the place was decorated like a funeral. There's like candles lit everywhere. Like, you know, the yeah. person that we're used to screaming and diving into the drum set is like, you know, playing this like very somber set and doing you know like lead belly covers and stuff like that um and so that put it on the map but like so many unplugged records in those years i mean i'm partial clearly to the nirvana and allison chains unplugged records which i think are masterpieces but like um yeah it was like such a part of like the cultural like zeitgeist of like popular music at the time um so it just, I love so much that Steve was like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I literally,
0: <laughs> from reading this, I knew you were going to have something to say about that. Dude, it rules.
1: <laughs> I just remember this has nothing to do with Steve or whatever, but it's like, it's interesting that Unplugged, because it kind of, you know, I guess jumped the shark and became so huge and all of a sudden now, like everybody had to do an acoustic record, even if they had never touched an acoustic guitar before. Yeah you've got people like Steve who had been like grinding and cutting his teeth as a singer songwriter since the seventies being like, Oh, like I was at these like all night parties and, you know, spending 12 years before anybody would even look at me. um, You know, cause, cause I was just a guy with an acoustic guitar. And now you're like fetishizing this thing and love it. And then the other side of it is I remember there was a joke on, this is just going to show you how my mind works. I'm going to like forget you know, my keys, my passwords, really important family stuff. But I remember a joke from Beavis and Butthead in 1995, um, which was they watched the Iron Maiden video for uh Hell is from Here to Eternity and um, you know, approved approved of it. And at one one of the lines was, Yeah, I bet if Iron Maiden ever did unplugged, they would say, We're not unplugging the explosion machine, dude. That's what got us here. <laughs> that's fucking awesome I I, probably not a week goes by that I don't think about Iron Maiden we're not unplugging the explosion machine (laughs) that's what got us here Um, and like I'll see somebody that I knew for years and like not be able to remember their name but I remember that yeah Um, Mm
0: -hmm. that's uh, Pat Oswalt has a a joke where he talks about how he's been to like three infant CPR classes (laughs) Three, because he can't remember. But, but as he's as he's, as his daughter suffocates to death, he can he can recite the uh the speech from the end of Blade Runner. <laughs>
1: dude, that Amazing. is perfect. That is fucking perfect. Oh, I love it, dude. Thanks for sharing. Sure. That rules, Steve. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Oh, and yeah, and this is a, a rare intro.
0: this is a rare one that I haven't seen uh before. But he has. Little bits written for each one of these.
1: Oh yeah, well, definitely, you know, share like them. Every as song has a
0: has a, a, a sentence or two. Of some, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 a rare one. He never does this on any of his other records, really.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, let's dive in, man. Yeah. So, the first track is is Mystery Train Part Two, and I'll just jump right in. Here's what I wrote as I was listening to this. He's been playing the mandolin for a while now, but this is one of the first times that it sounded close to more traditional bluegrass to me. Mm -hmm. Like on Copperhead Road and earlier, I always felt like, yeah, he's playing the mandolin, but he's clearly like a guitar player fucking with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this, I feel like his chops starting to feel more like, you know, a nod to like bluegrass and then like where, Mm -hmm. you know, this music comes from. And then I wrote setting a tone. Is this not going to rock? Um, <laughs> You know, if you're just thinking about, well, the last yeah. studio record I heard was the hard way, the heaviest um, one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's like my initial reaction, but then like the line, the dread and fascination run down to the station lyrics. Like there's a hauntingness to this song that I'm just really, really drawn to. Um, But it, it's a, He's he's always he always sets tones with his opening track, and um, this one kind of lets you know from the start. I think that this record is going to be a little bit different than oh, i have yes, heard for before.
0: Sure. Yeah, this was one of the ones he wrote like around this time. This was a '95 song. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the thing he wrote about this one in particular is uh, made up this mandolin line in a- in LA before the lights went out, which I'm curious. If maybe there was a huge blackout in LA around that time. Um, finished the lyric the day we recorded it, Hillbillies from Hell. And um what, what I've wrote for this one is uh I, I think this song rules. Um, I think it's another song that has sentiments to Fearless Heart. It's another mm. one of those songs where Steve's, you know, again reminding you, you know, ain't ever satisfied. Like <laughs> Fearless Heart. Like, I'm always looking for what that what's the next thing that's coming down the line. Like, what yeah. is where where is it? And um, I wrote um probably one of the least subtle songs about sleeping around ever written.
1: True, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and I and I even wrote love the bluegrass feel in this song. Like it, it does feel like he's connecting more. This is such a roots record, and I think yeah. uh, I think uh, Mystery Train, which I, honestly in my head it's Mystery Train, but like my I have like the the um, what's it um, what's the word for um like a commodity confusion or whatever. Um God, I'm I'm fucking there's uh, there's somebody screaming right now. Uh market mm. confusion. Market um, confusion. Where I will yeah. like I, I think of this song as train of coming. Like it's called Mystery Train, but I guess because the line like right. there's, a I mean, there's a train of coming, there's a train of coming. like yeah it's it my brain just like associates it with the title track of the song. And then when yeah. I look at the thing I'm like, oh yeah that's mystery train part. No
1: too. That makes sense. <laughs> <What>? Remind <laughs> What what year did he say he wrote the song? It was in the nineties.
0: He and yeah, this this one gets credited as being ninety five. So okay. he, I guess said he well, wrote the Mandolin Line in L A. and then finished the lyrics before they recorded it. Well, I the wonder they recorded it.
1: Yeah, I didn't. It made me think when he said before the lights went out. It made me wonder if he was in L A. during the riots. Um, you but,
0: could it could could be. Yeah, but he just um, didn't finish it until ninety
1: five. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he was quite quite busy doing things other than making music during that time period from like 92 to 94 um fuck yeah that's awesome yeah. Mm-hmm. um good song great good song i really really like
0: it. i will say like uh, in in we, we always talk about first tracks um i think this might be one of the which i think this is one of the stronger records we've talked about um comparatively with like i don't think there's anything i'll lose on this one um oh i got but, a couple Really, you got a couple. Oh, I don't think I have a single one. Um, but I don't think this is as strong an opening track as any of the other records we've talked about.
1: No, I agree. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a strong opening track for this record. Mm -hmm. But if I was just picking, it does set the tone. You're right there. Yeah. If I was just picking, what's your favorite track one amongst like the first, you know, five studio albums? This wouldn't, this would probably be five.
0: Yeah. Um, No. Absolutely. It's still a good song. But that's because the other
1: ones are so good. Right. Exactly. It has
0: nothing to do with this mm. one being bad. It's just the other ones are so good and so strong, but yeah. also encapsulating in a way that I think this one does a good job of too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So next is hometown blues. And I think it's telling. I, I really, the, the main thing that I take away from this song is how much I relate to the lyrics.
0: Yeah. As someone. I'm sure you do.
1: Yeah. Just as someone who, you know, we're, we're approaching a, a a time in my life where I have almost lived in New York for as long as I lived in Memphis, um, which is just you know blah blah blah. The passage of time is wild, all that kind of shit. But um, yeah, just you make a trip back to your hometown if you <clears throat> haven't been there in a while, and there's things that you want to be the same, and they're just not. Um, and that's like, so I, I, I feel like more so like, I think it's a fine song musically. I like the song, but I was really just finding myself having a personal connection with lyrics like, you know, won't nothing bring you down like your hometown and just, you know, sort of the fucking, the like, um, what is the word I am looking for? Sort of the, the. The contrast right between like you know loving a place loving so much about it but then also just having to admit like a place a city or a town is a is as dynamic as a living being like some things are going to be the same with a, with a person that you were close to 20 years ago but there other things are going to be different and that doesn't mean anything's wrong like mm-hmm shit keeps moving regardless of whether we're around for it or not. Um, And I think he captured that really well. And it just makes me think like Steve, you know, having kind of had era like youth in Texas and then, you know, all that long time in Nashville and now has been in New York for a very long time. Um, Just kind of those eras of his life because he writes about all of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, so he, he talks about hitchhiking in Nashville in 74. He -hmm. writes this song in 77 Mm -hmm. and, um, what, what he wrote about this song for the the liner notes is went home to Texas and no one remembered me, but the cops.
1: Dude, (laughs) it's the fucking, you know, it's, it's my old ass going to Memphis and going to a hardcore show and standing there with Jimmy and being like, who's that? And him being like, Brian, this kid has been here for 10 years now. Shut the fuck up. Like, (laughs) You know, like, yeah. yeah, like be, be humbled. Nobody gives a shit who I am. You know what I yeah. mean? So um mm-hmm. that's real. That's such a great line. I love yeah.
0: it. I, uh one of the things I wrote about this is um I wrote that uh, he's got so much swag. This is a stream of consciousness I wrote for this is mm-hmm. he has so much swagger on this song. Um, fuck. I love this record. He can really competently play anything. He really can.
1: Yeah. Dude. Yeah, fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> One day we're going to get Steve on here so we can just tell him, fuck you. To fuck space. you. And then log off. The ultimate goal. Mission, <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm just thinking too, it's just like, God damn. What, he was writing the most of these songs aside from the covers on this record. He said when he was a kid and when he was mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, a nobody. No, you know, nobody would even... Let him put out a record because that was seventy seven. Uh, the next track, sometimes she forgets uh, he wrote in seventy nine. Seventy nine, yep. Um, and what he wrote
0: for this one, I can't remember.
1: Th- that's fascinating because this is one that I hope, <laughs> I hope he made some money off of because it got most famous as a Travis Tritt cover. Oh, really? Um, that is, yeah. Like, you know what's funny is I did not know it before. Mm-hmm. And then when I went, I went and listened to the Travis Tritt version, and I was like, I definitely heard this on the radio at some really? point, like as a kid. Um, That's funny. I wrote just a damn good country song. And the other thing that I like about Sometimes She Forgets is it works like Steve did it here on this record with you know acoustic, fiddle, mandolin, pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. I could also hear this song being really good as a rocker. Yeah, so, can kind of hear that. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Travis Tritt didn't quite rock with it, but like a little more clearly, like country radio, like more polished mm-hmm. than what Steve did. Yeah. with the original. Um, but yeah, if you look up this song, you'll see Travis Tritt fir- first, and then like yeah. you know, with Steve are all credited as the songwriter. So uh,
0: I'll need to check yeah. that out because yeah. uh, I don't, I don't think I'm a Travis Tritt fan, but I'd be interested to hear uh, his version. Yeah, it's worth a um, listen. Yeah, I say I really like the fiddle on this song. Um, I think it's a great Love Lauren song. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the backing vocals are really great on it too. Yes. Um, But I had a thought is this song problematic?
1: I mean, yeah. (laughs) It's pretty problematic, right? (laughs) This is not the only song in his catalog that would probably fall into that category.
0: Yeah, but like, this is one that's like, it's not good. (laughs) It's
1: not okay. Uh, yeah you're right but no wonder
0: like the idea that you should just keep trying because sometimes she forgets that she does like to i guess have sex too and go home with with guys like it's not really great
1: yeah and this tells you a lot about culturally why this became a like minor country radio hit then um, i believe it does in the 90s (laughs) yeah jesus yeah um yeah steve what the fuck man um 79 79. I wrote Earl says he wrote this song in 79, which I can hear. And I think that's (laughs) definitely more of a reference to the lyrics than the music. Yeah. I mean, Uh, it's not a bad song, but I mean, I just sometimes I hear it and I'm like, "Hmm." (laughs) yeah, man. Uh, Yeah. Suffice to say, he wouldn't write this song today. Absolutely not. I don't think. Um, And it's not one that makes it into set list
0: yeah me. i can't imagine he would play this song yeah. nowadays
1: travis might though but we'll see i don't know mm-hmm. um i don't know what travis Tritt's doing nowadays um let's talk about mercenary song
0: this is the oldest one of his songs on this record
1: yeah and i think what year does it say
0: 74, 74. It says uh, i found the original lyric to this recently on the back of a sirocco's pizza menu so i guess i wrote it at work <laughs>
1: god damn it working at sirocco's pizza yep in 1974 it, it, to me i mean there are a few of these tracks on this record and when we'll we'll talk about all of them but like steve as storyteller is, is yep. so much of the shit that i am a sucker for whether it's mm-hmm. you know first person and this might be him or whether it's a character you know that he's embodying in the song um And I think to even know that even at that young, he, you know, in 74 being, you know, like Vietnam still going on, um, to be able to write this song, um, like, I guess a man's got to do what he's best at, ain't found nothing better so far, been called mercenaries and men with no country, just soldiers in search of a war. Um, Yeah, like it's you know it's it's the shit that hits where you look at that and you're like this could be lyrics to a fucking hardcore song or like a crust song um and it like oh yeah embodies both the like cynicism of war and like just the kind of the i don't know what i call it like nihilism right of a person who's just like this is Doing all i can money yeah this is all i can do so yep. fucking pay me and i'll take care of whoever you need me to take care of right um yeah i i really really this is not my favorite on the record but it's up there um and i think the storytelling really really gets me
0: this is my favorite song
1: nice i don't think i would have picked it
0: this is um, the first song i ever heard off this record too oh no
1: shit Yep. tell me tell me more about that
0: it was just on the playlist and it just it hooked me the chorus the chorus is uh, stuck in my head all the time yeah it's it's so fucking catchy
1: under the flag of the greenback dollar or the peso down mexico way yeah can't
0: relate to anything more than that man man. it's so it's so real it's so honest it's such a cool it's such a cool fucking song it's so simple there's like there's literally like it's four lines four lines five line chorus four lines Five line chorus, like yeah, it's so simple. It's so it's so cool. I I, I it's amazing lyrics, and I yeah, this is just this is my favorite song on this record. It's 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 one. It this is a uh, this is a must hear song for fans of Steve Roll.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like if you're if you're making a, you know an an LP length playlist of stuff you want to put on it, this is likely a song that makes it. Um, I mean,
0: LP length, like, dude, if I were to make a playlist of must hear Steve, must hear Steve Earle songs, it's gonna be like 40, 50 songs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A double LP then. Um, no, gotta be longer. (laughs) But I mean, I think that's part of the fun is like forcing yourself to choose. Right. Cause I'd probably find myself being like, I got to pick from eras, you know, like, let me get some early rockers. Mm -hmm. Let me get some later rockers. Let me do some acoustic stuff. But this would be, um, I think I think from this record, yo, I, when I, we
0: talked on uh, Aviator, like that's such a good greatest hits record.
1: It really is. Yeah. Like you could have somebody go through and like listen to the studio versions, even of of his mm-hmm. set list, right? Um,
0: and be like you're getting the best of what he was doing around that time Sand's yeah. one song that we don't really care for as much that he pretended like that was gonna be the last song he played that night
1: <laughs> um, like but that but that live version is sick it's sick dude <laughs> it's fucking sick Um, yeah and it makes me think too like I love what he does where he's able to both make there's like Political commentary in this song without beating you over the head. Mm -hmm. But then also the mercenary could be a metaphor, right? For so many things. Like even if, you know, thinking about Steve and his life at the time that he wrote this. Even even if he's not going out and fucking killing people for money, it's just sort of like, all I know how to do is play this fucking guitar. Mm -hmm. So tell me where to go and I'll do it, you know? Um, And all the things he had to do to just make a living before he could actually start getting paid for his own music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, incredible. Fantastic. Yeah. Um goodbye is a song, the the track that comes after this, that like musically isn't one of the songs that really like hits me the most. Mm-hmm. But I think about this a lot through the lens, you know, of Steve's sobriety. Um and just how powerful it is. It's like, yeah, there's oh, ton- yeah. there's tons of songs about breakups and about mm-hmm. like the pain of a relationship being over, but being so fucked up that you couldn't even remember if you said goodbye. Yeah. Um, that there's like a very like dark kind of regret in that. And it's like this made there's me some think- good
0: context that I've got on this song too.
1: I'd love to hear it. Cause this is um this is one of the newer like not, this is a song he it's wrote.
0: 95, yeah.
1: Yeah, contemporary, not not previously, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell us more about it.
0: So um this song was written at Buffalo Valley Rehab Center and it's apparently about Teresa Ensenat, his former wife, um, who we have deduced a relative of hers as who the hard way was dedicated to. Mm-hmm. But she was uh, a big help with producing and helping with his records kind of uncredited. Um, around that time um and somebody he clearly loved a lot but was massively destructive in the relationship
1: yeah he says this is the first song he wrote clean
0: yeah i can believe it because Period. he wrote it in the rehab center yeah. um and the the thing he wrote for this one is i told an underline told you i couldn't remember
1: <laughs> yeah that kind of like i don't want to talk about it yeah. um yeah this feels like this feels like he's working through the steps, mm-hmm. right here. Like, this oh yeah, is, this is this, this is, is resentments. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. This is a uh, this is a personal inventory.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um,
0: so it's more resentment of himself, but yeah. Oh, for sure. It's you have to um, give yourself as part of it.
1: <laughs> it's a. I use the word painful to describe the listen, then not as like mm-hmm. oh, it's a bad song or whatever, but it is. If oh you yeah. Are, if you are really paying close attention to the lyrics it's mm-hmm. like it's really hard to get oh, yeah. through, you know so it's it's not i wouldn't call it a skipper by any means cuz i think it's super important but it is like not one of the more pleasant listens of the record
0: yeah i mean it's uh like i mean one of uh like one of the songs on the new inclination record is a song about you know things i did wrong that i regret and i wish i had been a better a better friend a better person kind of explaining myself and what i was thinking and you know feeling at the time which caused me to do this but also acknowledging at the same time like i was wrong and it was shitty and stupid and you know bad of me to to do this thing that i thought was right um i mean in connection to hardcore like the the foundation song heartless like Mm. Just like the acknowledgement that like, you know, you are capable of doing bad too. Like, I don't know. I think in music, it's really easy to like write in places of blame. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to write in places of accountability, which um, I feel like he does a good job on this song with. And I, uh, I, one, one thing I, uh, I wrote, I wrote, I forgot how, I forget how much I like this song Mm. because it is one that is, is such a. A hard one to listen to but the guitar work is really nice and i love the harmonica on it but but, um, but it is something that like i do forget like one thing i wrote is uh and i think like on i think it fits here on a different record um in a way that also explains why that isn't one of my favorite records but it is one i like but i feel like this song would fit on washington square serenade hmm like when I hear this song, it's one of I, that's where I feel like this song could fit on a different one of his records. Musically yeah. at least.
1: I'm gonna keep that in mind when I go back and re-listen to Washington Square Serenade, because that's an interesting thought. Um
0: but yeah, it's because that's something I think about a lot when we're doing these records is like if if a song feels out of place, I try to think where could this song fit?
1: Where would yeah. this song
0: And not saying it's this song's out of place on this record? But sometimes I'll hear like when I heard the uh, the um, the the harmony that he uses and that he will a harmony on the early tracks record that he reuses on uh, in uh, Poor Boy and I feel right the next studio album we'll talk about. But um, just hearing these these different recurring themes, even if it's just like something that hits my ear in a way that I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. But I think it's just it sounds like it might fit somewhere else, too.
1: And it's fascinating that, you know, yeah, and it, several songs could fit somewhere else, but that this record still feels as cohesive as it does, considering mm-hmm. we're talking about a twenty-year span. Oh yeah, of when of when song, you know, I'm just thinking about how wild it is to have oh, shit you've yeah, been sitting no, on. It's
0: impressive. <laughs> yeah,
1: 1974 had a, and not just sitting on had a, a whole career of other material yeah. that you put out between here and there and then dusting those off, recording them and combining them with some shit that you were like just now writing, um, and a few covers, which we haven't mm-hmm. gotten to yet, but which will which will be coming. Um super impressive. Oh yeah. Um so the next song is another old one though. Um 75. 75 Tom Ames's prayer it probably won't surprise you that this is another one I really like because I am story such a song. Damn sucker for these story songs. Mm-hmm. And I think I appreciate that this one has a slightly faster tempo. Oh um, yeah.
0: it Picks up.
1: It picks up. Cause you know, there's some, there's some slow stuff on this record and I think it's excellent slow stuff, but this picks it up a little bit. Um, the line that I wrote towards the end, just so fucking hard. Um, and you know, I ain't never prayed before, but it always seemed to me, if praying is the same as begging Lord, I don't take no charity.
0: Fucking hard as shit, dude. You
1: know? Um, yep. And then, yeah, you know, who in the hell am I talking to? There ain't no one here but me. <laughs> like, Yeah. Like, That's so cool. It's hard. so fucking cool. <laughs> like, so it's just a damn, I'm just impressed again at the... It is so easy for a storytelling country song to be corny as hell. Oh yeah, I mean there are thousands of them, but Steve does it, and it's just like I'm hooked. I'm like listening to every word, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's uh, uh it, it's also just it's so impressive to me. One of my favorite, uh, I mean, Drive By Truckers are one of my favorite bands. Um, for the sake of the their ability to tell stories and rhyme.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I
0: think this is such another a, a good example too of a of really. A good story and rhyme. Um he wrote this was uh written in the girls dormitory at Lawn Morris College in Jacksonville, Texas. His grandmother was the dorm mother. Huh. So yeah. Um but yeah, and no that, it's it's, an, it's I wrote just fantastic degenerate song.
1: I know. And well So just, cool. His grandmother was the dorm Imagine like a like a young girl in in college staying in the girls dorm and then like coming upon Steve Writing this like dark ass song, you know, and being like, yeah, "Oh no, it's cool. song
0: about a real piece of shit." I know.
1: oh no, <laughs> no, it's sorry. What are you doing here? Oh no, this, this is my grandmama. She runs this place. Um, yeah, ma'am, you've got to stop bringing your grandson to work with you. <laughs> um, that's it's amazing though. Yeah, yeah, great song, song rocks,
0: dude. Absolutely, rocks. rocks.
1: Um, next song features our girl Amy Lou Harris. Yep um nothing without you i this is not one of my favorite songs on the record but i
0: kind of same for me but the, it's it, it's still good
1: it's still the what i wrote you know and this probably tells you a lot my favorite part of the song is the way that steve and Lou harmonize on the chorus mm-hmm. um and that's really all i have to say about it
0: yeah all i've got is a cute little
1: track cute little track like uh, but
0: dude, the the cutest part about it is the thing he fucking wrote for it, though. It is so it's so sweet. Um the first time I met Emmy Lou, she came in to sing on Guy Clark's first album. She gave me half for cheeseburger. I wasn't the same for weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. That fucking rules. That's yeah, shit I remember. Dude. Oh it's, my it's, God. it's just
0: it's a cute, it's a cute little song. It's yeah. it's fine. If if in my thing is if it to me it's one of the weaker songs in the record. Hmm. But it's still good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think this is one of the weaker songs on the record, but it's still good. Um, I mean, we're getting into this is a so the next song, "Angel Is the Devil," um, is a skipper for me.
0: Really? This yeah. is one of my favorite songs. On the record. So,
1: yeah, I don't have much to say other than I know. This was one of the the four songs that Steve wrote in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, 92. 92. And I I think it's a little boring. But tell really? me Really? I think it's me, catchy as hell. Tell me tell me why it's one of your favorites.
0: I just think it's really catchy and it 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 puts a smile on my face. That's one of the things I wrote about this song. It, it literally makes me smile. That's awesome. Like uh boy what he did write for this one is uh one of only four songs written during my vacation in the ghetto. Mm. now me and john a lomax have something in common we both ripped off lead belly that rules so some somewhere in there he's ripping off lead belly
1: lead belly's like enduring influence in just fucking everything um from steve Mm -hmm. earl to nirvana that fucking rules (laughs) um yeah man i mean i i yeah i think it's a skipper for me um, yeah,
0: it's not it, I skip no songs on this record, even the 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 instrumental song.
1: Yeah, I skipped two, and this is one of the two. Um so next is a Beatles cover, yep. which is a song that I I'm not a huge Beatles guy. Um so I only listened to their original as mm-hmm. I was preparing for this, and I can confidently say that I like Steve's version better than the Beatles. I think
0: I do too, in a way. Um, I think they do it. He does a good job of making this song his own. I will say this did get me to revisit Rubber Soul, and I fucking I am a pretty big Beatles guy, and I I forget I love that record.
1: That's awesome. When I think
0: of Rubber Soul, I forget how many songs are on it that I like. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I I also grew up with my mom fucking listening to the Beatles constantly as a child, so.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: I mean, I just I've got that affinity for it that I'll always have.
1: Yeah. I just never really what's interesting is I think I grew up around like, you know, the 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 earlier, the cheesier pop songs, you know, of the Beatles. Which are I know, love those too though. I mean, you know, great in their own right. Yeah. Blueprints mm-hmm. for so much other rock and roll that came after it. We wouldn't um, have the clash without and, it. You know, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um I, like I can be that's the thing. I am firmly like not a hater you know what I mean like I can recognize so much of what I fucking love wouldn't exist without the Beatles and like the genius of it it's just nine times out of ten I find that I prefer to listen to the thing that they influenced rather than them directly I can Um, understand that yeah
0: you know what I never knew until I watched the documentary um I didn't know the Bee Gees started out as sort of a Beatles clone
1: no shit, I had no idea. Yeah,
0: They're, uh the documentary. I think it might still be on HBO. It's fucking fascinating. They talk. They go into uh, um, fucking the song from Saturday Night Fever. Um, staying um, alive. Yeah, I guess yeah, staying alive. The uh, mm-hmm. the drum for staying alive, um, is a looped drum. And the way they had to do it is they took some drums that they had recorded because the drummer had to like go home for like a family emergency while they were recording this record mm-hmm. and um, they had to take they took tape, the tape of the yeah. drum track and they stitched it together and they ran it through the room to play the drum track in a, on a loop. The first time drums had ever been looped.
1: Dude, that's incredible.
0: Bg's figured out something that changed hip hop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, now that yeah. I want to see because I'm it's just thinking too, crazy. something that we all take for granted and that now is like literally as easy as pushing mm-hmm. a button. Yep. They went to all that work to like-
0: To be the first ones to do it. Yeah. Fuck.
1: Yep. Isn't every, that crazy? Everything up to that point had just been a live drummer playing the whole mm-hmm. thing and now, yeah, loop, you can it's, loop it's a beat. It's absolutely,
0: absolutely fucking crazy. Well, and
1: think about then how short of a time span that was between that and hip hop, mm-hmm. right? Like- Um, because well, yeah, and and at the time, the earliest hip hop was just looping drums that were already on a record. Yep. But then, oh, we could make our own beat and just loop Mm -hmm. that too. Coming soon after, like just
0: figuring out how you can oh, you can just tape this shit together and then just play it, and you don't have to have a drummer even here. You could just make the beat. Got to respect the BGs. I always, dude, I do now.
1: Yeah, I always too thought how funny it would be like me and some of my friends have a thing where we just talk about like you know singers with weird voices that have become like iconic right and just how funny it would be because like we've all been hearing the Bee Gees since we were kids and that like falsetto you know mm-hmm. but, like wouldn't it be funny though if i was like just at work, people are like, "Oh, Brian, you have a band." And I'm like, "Yeah, if you want to come check us out or whatever, we're doing a show." And then for just like me to get up there and be like, <laughs> "Like, <laughs> you know what I mean?" Like, there's something yeah. f- that feels even more jarring than like, you know, a hardcore band. What we do, <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, like, no, for sure. Be like, "Oh, that was interesting." Um, do all right. Now I'm gonna look that up.
0: Um, yeah it, it's it's a pretty good documentary it will make you cry though because uh, uh, uh spoiler alert only one of them is still alive
1: <laughs> i did know that it was it the, the gibbs brothers right is that their yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: morris Barry, and fuck i'm forgetting the other one's name um but uh but yeah um also morris spelled like maurice Pronounced Morris, I pronounce guess that's Morris. maybe a fucking Australian thing. Dude. Um, Barry Gibb, though, dude, not gonna lie, so good looking, handsome man, so good looking, unbelievably good looking.
1: So, folks, you come for the <laughs> Steve Earle, um, folk, country, Americana talk, and you leave with hardcore and the Bee Gees. That is, yep. that's what hardcore troubadour delivers um tangents tangents we're gonna once we get up to 200 listeners we're gonna have a party that's gonna invite barry gibbs um (laughs)
0: um i will say for the for the 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 beatles cover he wrote uh this is the stuff i cut my teeth on middle class white boy roots music
1: (laughs) dude i love i just fucking love steve like he's so yeah he's so funny so funny and so just Mm -hmm. the exact opposite of pretentious you know what i mean like there's there's no pretension in any of this he's able to be like yeah man this white boy white boy roots music incredible um so next is another cover but this is an an instrumental Mm -hmm. um by norman blake what i wrote here is this is cool it also kind of makes me miss the Dukes and their electric guitars.
0: (laughs) I can, yeah, I can hear it. I, uh, um, he wrote Blake and Blake shut up and learn something. Um, cause this apparently was like, he was like fucking around with this, Mm. like this, um, structure of this, uh, this song, this, um, this roots, I think it's an Irish folk song of some sort. Mm. Um, But uh, what I wrote for this is this Mm. song makes me feel a sense of impending doom. Yeah. Which I think leads into into the next song really well.
1: Oh, leads into the next song. So, so well. Um, That's why I really appreciate its placement. Mm -hmm. Like in the record, like where Mm -hmm. it goes, I think is perfect. Um, The next song, Ben McCullough, um, this is my favorite song. I knew it. I yeah. knew it. I have it fucking written down, dude. <laughs> I like. I've got to up my game on guessing yours because you're e- so
0: bad at it. Dude. I'm either you're so
1: fucking frankly, I'm it. either always wrong or I straight up forget to like give it a proper guess before we yeah. dive in. That's my commitment for the next one. Is I'm gonna like really, really like apply myself and and write down which one would guess. you have
0: thought was my favorite song? Of these, I w-
1: would have thought that your favorite song was um God damn it either mercenary song or mystery train
0: okay well then you yeah. would have maybe been right if you had picked one of if you had if you had
1: but I did but the point is I didn't you, you did didn't. and I didn't so I can't I gotta take the L again yeah this is my favorite it's um, so good it is so good it is
0: 75 too
1: damn he was on a roll with these storytelling yeah. songs, man. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the other thing that I wrote, and we'll talk about some of the lyrics that really strike me here, is this actually reminds me a lot of the song Young Ned of the Hill by The Pogues, um, which interestingly, like, it was released in 89. Steve wrote this song clearly a long time before this, but I know he would have been familiar with Young Ned of the Hill, and I wonder if he was influenced by that at all in the way that he arranged the song for the record. Oh yeah. Right. Um, because like young net of the hill one, it's one of the, it's one of those pokes tracks that, uh, Shane McGowan doesn't sing. Um, but it's like, a, you know, it's sort of, it's an Irish patriotic anthem, um, basically like cursing Oliver Cromwell to hell. Um, as or, he should be, as he should be. Right. Um, and so there's a, similar thing here to like this, you know, um, young soldiers cursing Ben McCullough, um, you know, and the theme, you know, if you haven't heard it, you should go listen. It's but, top, uh, tier, top tier, Steve Earl top tier. And the, the, um, written from the perspective of a young, a poor young Confederate soldier. Hey,
0: specifically um, poor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few lines in here. Um, a few. <laughs> I mean, I'm um, uh, so many good ones, but I think the ones that stick to me, God damn, you Ben McCullough. I hate you more than any other man alive. And when you die, you'll be a foot soldier just like me in the devil's infantry. But the one that really hits home, and I think it hits home as a Southern person, as a, you know, just a person that grew up poor. I killed a boy the other night who'd never even shaved. I don't even know what I'm fighting for. I ain't never owned a slave. Um so again like the the power of the storytelling but then the the broader commentary he's able to make through the story without hitting you over the head with it mm-hmm. um you put all that together and that's that adds up to why this is my favorite song on the record
0: yeah he writes uh this song was my dad's idea dedicated to him and a guy, clark, and, guy Cl- and and to guy clark who taught me everything i know about story songs that rules
1: i mean incredible. it makes me i've got a guy clark i gotta know more about guy clark man (laughs) i was gonna say i
0: mean we'll we'll be diving into him yeah on on this for sure
1: my familiarity Uh, is
0: very surface level so yeah i mean i've got like a few records that i reach for but i i and i like a lot but it's all thanks to steve (laughs) yeah and figuring out what 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 songs of his he did that i needed to hear the original versions of Um, The line that sticks out for me on this is, well, the poster said we get a uniform and seven bucks a week, the best rations in the army and a rifle we could keep. And I think that uh, like like identifying the socioeconomic situation that so many of these young conscripted soldiers were in that they were willing to go fight for a cause that um, I mean, it's the same thing as fucking World War One, too. It's like, you know, how you get a bunch of fucking poor, you know, proletariat to go fucking to war with one another. Yeah. convince them that's in their best interest at the moment mm-hmm. <laughs> like and rather than them seeing like a longer like destiny towards you know a coming together as a, a group against the people who would you know the i mean it's uh, fucking bob dylan masters of the war you know yep absolutely like it's you know these the people who decide to send you off to war like they never they'd never fucking see it um Yeah, um, I wrote the songs, the lyrics in the song are fucking cutting, and I did write, stupidly, page 186, bottom. So I'm going to go grab my book real quick.
1: (laughs) Go do it, yeah. So Tyler's probably expecting me at this point to pause the recording and, um, you know, just cleanly edit it back in when he returns. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue talking and fill this airspace because... um, I want this to flow together seamlessly. Oh, wait, he's back.
0: Oh, are you talking shit? Um,
1: (laughs) I was pretending like I was talking shit to make you... uh, You
0: motherfucker. Um, All right, so... Let me see here. So for Ben McCullough... Okay. So... um... Okay, so the, fuck. I'm trying to figure out why I even fucking wrote this down. Now, I'm I'm a, I'm an asshole. I think this might have just been. Oh, this is just fuck. I'm stupid. Um, because I'm looking at this. Oh, 186. I'm on the wrong page. I was on 187. Looking at Dude, the this bottom. Is, like, like this doesn't make any sense.
1: This is riveting radio right now.
0: God, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Um. So yeah, Oh, I just wrote down. He he. There's things about Ben McCullough in the book um so yeah so later on the disc, he rolls out another epic story and song ben mccullough also from 75 one of those songs fondly remembered by the bishop's pub cra- uh, crowd born in 1811 in tennessee raised in arkansas the real ben mccullough is considered a heroic texas patriot for his service in the battle of san Jacinto. so um he didn't in in here it says he didn't arrive in time to join his friend Davy Cravit at the Crockett at the Alamo, unfortunately. Mm. Um, <laughs> which so you can imagine, I know like <laughs> Texas is like crazy about making you learn about the Texas heroes. So yeah. imagine Steve was raised learning about this guy being fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, um, and um uh, so yeah, as as a member of the second Congress and the Republic of Texas's first legislator, a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. He was killed while leading a division in the Battle of Elkhorn Tavern on March seventh, uh, eighteen sixty-two. His body was returned to Austin, where it's buried in the State Cemetery. Uh, set in the Civil War, Steve's first venture into the lore of the war between the states. He would explore in much depth later. Um, yeah, so um yeah, it's uh Ben McCullough is a real guy, and I'm sure Steve was, was raised up learning that this guy was awesome. Um, yeah. because Texas makes you do that. Dude.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. They, I think they, you have to
0: take Texas history in Texas.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, they do it. Texas does it, you know, uniquely well in terms of, you know, making sure that you learn that type of propaganda while not being able to read a lot of really important other books. Um, I went to high school in Mississippi, and we similarly, every freshman in the state has to take a class called Mississippi Studies. Um, and I remember it's things like learning about Ross Barnett as a governor who did a lot for like infrastructure. And that's why there's a reservoir named after him because he, you know, uh, helped, you know, like, um, at the time, you know, in the middle 20th century, there were still a lot of parts of rural Mississippi that didn't have indoor plumbing, running water, um, getting a lot of that there. And then what they leave out, of course, is that he was like a violent segregationist, um, participated, you know, in many lynchings directly, um, both before and during his time as governor and was um, the one who, when James Meredith first enrolled at Ole Miss, was like, you know, telling Mississippians to like arm themselves and go to like defend, you know, I guess the... Segregation in general, but the, you know, the honor of the University of Mississippi, um, where, uh, you know, like against, you know, the invading federal national guard that was trying to let this black man go to school there. Um, so yeah, just stuff like left out all that stuff that wasn't, those weren't things that I learned until later, but I certainly learned uh, so I can see, um, I can only imagine then in, in the Texas history classes, you know, the the official approved stuff um, the kids had to learn. And I can just see Steve fucking seething, especially, you know, as he learned, if he knew then or as he learned, you know, a little later who, who Ben McCullough actually McCullough really was. It really was. Yeah. 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 Fuck. Um, I, I loved that line, though, that he shared, like... <laughs> Did not make it in time to join his buddy, Davy Crockett at the Alamo, unfortunately.
0: Well, I think I kicked in the, unfortunately, but. Oh uh, yeah.
1: Still. The sentiment was there. It fits right in. I love that, man.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah.
1: So great song. Um, Mm -hmm. Ben McCullough. Absolutely. Um, Ben McCullough. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) after this. Is. The second of my two skippers. Dude, which no! is a, a cover of "Rivers of Babylon" by the Melodians. Come on, man! I fucking love this cover, dude. I fucking why, love this song. Why did I just feel like this whole again? What I here's what I wrote, and then I'll stop. I love Amy Lou Harris. Other than that, I find this weak, and I'm just glad he didn't try to go full reggae with it. <laughs> oh i dude okay so
0: first of all i i wrote i love this cover i love this song i love that this exists so i'm gonna tell you frankly to fuck off all right here Um, we go dude okay so (laughs) i one of my all-time favorite fucking records like if i had like a desert island record for me is the harder they come soundtrack okay this song is on it. The, the OG version of the song is on it. I, I fucking love ska and reggae.
1: I love ska and reggae too, man. Okay. That's part of why I don't like this. I like this because, dude, have you ever heard the Toots and the
0: Maytals cover of Country Roads? Yes. This is like the opposite of that. It's sick.
1: I love it. Everything doesn't go both ways, man. Dude, that that <laughs> Country Roads cover is fucking awesome. I agree. That's awesome. This isn't. I think this song rules. I appreciate. This is this is one of
0: my favorite songs on the record, dude. If this was, if I had to pick, like in order, like three or four, this is three or four.
1: Dude, we are very different. Oh, I know we are, man. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I would. My favorite song on some of these records is literally the one you'd get rid of.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm skipping this, and I'm skipping fucking uh, what was the other one? I'm skipping. Uh, Um, Angels the devil. Angels the devil. Yeah, those are. I'd just get rid of both of them. That's me. I'm cold. Cold hearted. But I do appreciate I would not want I'm, you know, in, in terms of defending myself, I would not want that to be interpreted as I don't appreciate ska or reggae. I think I just don't think this works. I think um, it
0: works so well. Yeah. Well, he wrote on this, um, Hillbillies in Jamaica. Ain't you ever heard of the Blue Mountains?
1: I don't, I don't think I get it. I don't um, get it either. But, <laughs> my but maybe he thought reference? he was being funny, I think. I wonder, though, if there is a reference to, like, you know, hillbilly music and reggae as poor working people's music comes from a very similar place, um, which I – that I can deeply appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, right on, man. Well, you all will have to decide for yourself. And this is the kind of thing, again – we can, because we're coming towards the end of this episode, we can tell who's stuck with us through the end. Because this is the type of thing I'd really be interested. Who do you agree with, Brian or Tyler? Or are you somewhere in the middle and think both of us are a, being a little over dramatic about this whole thing?
0: I mean, I'm being um, over dramatic all the
1: time. <laughs> I am too. Um, but about specifically this Rivers of Babylon cover on the Train of Cumming record. Um, well, so. He closes with one more cover, uh Tecumseh Valley by the mighty Towns Van Zant. And, you know, what you were saying um about Guy Clark earlier, I feel similar. Like I'm a lot more familiar with a lot of Towns Van Zant stuff, mm-hmm. but I think there are times that I go back and I want to listen to Towns, and then there are times that I either like the cover or what he influenced more. And um I like, I think I just like Steve's voice better than Town's, mm-hmm. but I think I like how both the original and Steve's version here are very like haunting songs. No, oh, yeah. I mean, um, it's a
0: haunting song in general.
1: Yeah. So I think that's, I, I um, this is again- We're talking
0: about Tecumseh Valley, by the Tecumseh way. Tecumseh Valley. Say the name. <laughs> yeah.
1: I thought I did, my bad. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is one of those where I, I had heard- And then again in in listening to this record, Steve's cover and wasn't familiar with Towns Van Zant's original. So like went, you know, retroactively went back and listened to Towns and I you you
0: weren't as familiar with the original.
1: No, I wasn't. Okay. Um,
0: I I grew up on this song being sang by somebody else. Yeah. Um, well what he wrote for this one is uh I named my boy after T, Enough Said. Um I mean, which is enough said which is great. Um, but uh I, I I like this song I think town's version is not as good as this one just like you I agree um but I grew up with the Nancy Griffith version of this song
1: hmm Nancy um, Griffith
0: my dad is just a CD he had she had a couple um a couple CDs um that were in rotation in my house and one of them was a record of covers um one of them is uh funny enough uh, if we ever it's a record i'd like to talk about on here but there's a cover of a uh, wean on it which is uh hilarious that's fine um but there's also a john prine cover on there and a really good bob dylan cover on there and um i think this song sung by a female gives it an added sense yeah and um in speaking of songs sung by female if we ever talk about it um she does a uh, boots of spanish leather by dylan and that ah. song sung by a female is a very different feeling as well.
1: I can imagine. Okay, so it's
0: letters back and forth when Dylan's yeah. singing it, and he's singing what she wrote and what he wrote. When she's singing it, what he wrote and what she wrote. Very different feeling. It's really cool. She just got this like really nice Irish voice. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, no. Um, that's that's what I grew up on. So I was immediately like familiar with Tecumseh Valley." knew it was a Towns Van Zandt song because. Uh, growing up with because it cause at some point i did a dive on that record from you know listening to it when i was playing with legos mm-hmm. as a child to yeah. like reacquainting myself as an adult with it and looking into like well what are all these covers i knew the john Prime one of course and i knew the dylan one but there were a few other ones there's a um got him blinking on um like on his name right now but uh fucking i know i i know i downloaded it recently to uh to to re reacquaint myself with it, but uh I don't know if I'm gonna be able to oh uh, Gordon Lightfoot. There's a Gordon Lightfoot song on there that's really good too huh. um but yeah, I uh yeah, that's my experience with Tecumseh Valley is just that cover as a kid. But I think Steve Earle's version is really good.
1: That's so cool. I mean, it's a yeah, great story.
0: It's a it's f- a such a good story.
1: It's such a good story. It is like a, a like beautiful and haunting. and now it's so sad so sad this is making me want to go down a nancy griffith hole because like i'm now realizing like i'm familiar with her as a person she just passed away a little over a year ago really i didn't um, know that you know august of 21 but um dude just even reading the names of people that did duets with her over the years um you know emmy lou john prine don mcclain willie nelson um Adam Duritz from Counting Crows, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) traditional Irish band, the Chieftains, um, and our good friend, Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish, um, who rules actually as a singer and songwriter. Um, So I'm going to listen to her version before I go to bed tonight. Thank you for the tip. Um, Also other fun fact on her first performance on Austin city limits, um Lyle Lovett was one of her backup singers so there you go that's neat Nancy Griffith so we've come to the end of another Steve Earle record train of coming um it is different than the first four studio albums understandably given the many changes that had happened in Steve's life but um I, you know, like I shared at the beginning, this was not one of Steve's records that I was super familiar with coming into this. And so I appreciated um, a chance to really dig in and find find some more songs. Um, I don't think I like the record overall as much as Tyler does, but to find more songs that I would, you know, put kind of on my eternal Steve Earl playlist. Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely um, there some several.
0: crucial tracks on this record. Yeah. And dude, honestly, like, so this getting into this record was the first time you'd heard Ben McCullough. Yeah, fuck, dude, I'm honestly envious of you having that first experience with that song. I wish I could go back and experience that song again for the first time and really hear it because it's a it's a really powerful song. Um, yeah, man, I I stand by this record. I think it's a good intro to Steve. Like, if if especially for people who aren't like, um people don't have an affinity for country or don't Mm. think they do because it's such a a roots folk record. Um, I do think, um, I think it's, it's a great intro for, for, for certain people to hear this record and this podcast, certainly the only fucking time you're ever going to hear anybody talk about this record. Um,
1: Sad, but probably true. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, for a lot of these records, especially from now on. Yeah. But uh, you, you want to do some addendum stuff? Let's do for some the addendums. Previous once, yeah. Because so I've got a Copperhead Road thing. I got a Copperhead Road thing that is so interesting. So Bennett, who produced on Guitar Town and Exit Zero, he did so. He basically did all the guitar on those records. So Copperhead Road was the first record Steve really got to play guitar on. Wow,
1: I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, it's something I do I didn't realize at all. And, and while I'm reading the book, and then they they address this, and they're like, oh shit, yeah. So like he was really just singing a lot and on Copperhead road. He tracked all basically all the guitar for the most part. Damn. And that was really interesting to me to to know, to like think about now thinking about exit zero and thinking about like, um, it makes sense why I feel like, uh, Copperhead road has even more of that, like, and the hard way have more of that raw edge because it's not a studio guy recording fucking guitar.
1: That totally makes dude. This it's is him putting my mind.
0: his inflections on things, and his. Yeah. So now we know. Also, moving forward with Steve, he's recording a lot of the guitar now, he's not relying on a, a guy who, by the label, who's you know, kind of making him use session people a little bit more, and he's yeah. able to put his own touch on it. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so some more on Copperhead Road, the the um, uh, the drama around it um was um so bowen one of the mca guys thought the record was a piece of shit and told tony brown his producer at the time that he pawned it off on irving Azov, who was the guy who was doing the uni record or whatever and um apparently so irving called called uh brown in the middle of the night and was like yo i love it but don't tell bowen that i love it tell him yeah. that i'm bummed that this is getting pushed on me because he didn't want him to like scrap it all together. Yeah. I guess he thought he was like doing some shit, like shoving the record off.
1: Yeah. And dude.
0: in fact, he was actually kind of getting a hold of a record he'd really be interested in putting out, but he didn't want to ruin it because like these guys are just so fucking petty. Like
1: that's a, this dude Bowen is a fucking idiot.
0: Yeah. They no, a really dumb guy. But um, yeah, I mean, sure as hell made some money off of Steve for a few years that he could. Yeah. Um but yeah, really funny. Um, but yeah, he uh <laughs> he uh calls him in the dead of the night and says Bowen wants him to take it because it's a piece of shit. And Azov humored him by agreeing, was calling to let Brown know he was lying and loves the record, but knew if he told Bowen the truth, he'd pull the plug like a petty bitch. My words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, God. so that's that's basically the end of the the little behind-the-scenes stuff that I know on Copperhead Road. And then the hard way stuff um is you know. Steve's drug use, which we talked about, apparently was wild. He was shooting up in the lounge of the studio and was just absolutely reckless with having like ex wives and kids running around. And he was just doing drugs out in the open. God. Um, so yeah, and then um Stacy Earl was living with Steve at the time. Uh apparently had uh had a hard time getting her cue on the oh yeah. So she apparently had a hard time getting her cue on the record, like when she was recording. But once she like got her cue, she nailed it on her third take. And mm. um, and then she, you know, we I think we might have talked about this, but she did the uh, um, she did the the Hardway tour. So she yeah. was on that that tour. I think we might have talked about that on we A-Mater, did actually. She was
1: she was a, a, um, unofficially a Duke for that tour. Um, but yeah, in the in the book, in the
0: book, they refer to the Hardway as Nebraska meets board in the USA. So just let's be vindicated.
1: Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> Let's just be vindicated
0: right so now. now. everything we've been thinking,
1: <laughs> and I'm glad too that you like read that out here because by the time folks are hearing this, if you've you know been with us, you'll have been through you know the hard way and and uh, our our two episode dive into Bruce Springsteen. Yes, um, that is so vindicating. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's nice to know that we've we've actually got a proper ear for these things tyler we're not just not
0: not just stupid
1: yeah we're not just two fucking goons (laughs) like talking into the air we're like you know just put us in some different life circumstances and we'd be fucking like you know leading a fucking talk at you know south by southwest um and people would be like asking us questions about our musical expertise and shit
0: expertise but speaking of on if you're hearing this and you're still hanging with us thank you for listening so long to us babble on about Steve Earle and hardcore and crazy fest and everything else we talked about tonight. But on the Bruce Springsteen episode, I talk about how Nebraska could be a hardcore cover. And I remembered and I found it when I was logging all my records and discogs this True Colors
1: record. Oh, <laughs> they, they li- True Colors literally ripped it off. And really
0: ripped it off in the beautiful. back. too.
1: That it's, looks so good. I've never seen awesome. that record. Yeah.
0: It's sick. So, what yeah, did they, what's I'll the probably photo? send this photo whenever so please, i send dude, the photos of nebraska
1: so i can post it what is the photograph in the middle because that's just, all they it's changed
0: a, it's, it's a it's a uh, no it's the same it's a dashboard and a road just oh, probably what's okay. probably one in europe
1: i couldn't see it through zoom yeah yeah,
0: yeah. through the no, glare on the, the glare. plastic but yeah yeah
1: dude isn't that's... that sick that's incredible. Yeah, I was like, um,
0: I was uh I was fucking logging my seven hundred records on discogs and then I got to this and my seven inch bin and I went, oh this is what I was thinking of and I couldn't exactly
1: think of it. dude Fuck, that's amazing. Yeah. It's it's good to have hobbies, folks. Mm-hmm. Um because you just fucking remember things like keeps our brain active doing this, absolutely logging records on discogs, fucking Really, that's
0: a that's a self-preservation thing, so I don't buy the same record I already have.
1: That's really smart, actually. Yeah. Um, Damn. I feel like that made me think of something, but I've reached the part of the evening where my brain ceases to function properly. But dude, another fun one, Tyler. This was Absolutely awesome. Fun. I really appreciate the addendums. We appreciate all of y'all for listening. Um, be good to yourselves, and we'll be back at you very soon.
0: Fuck yeah. Peace.